0: Thanks for joining us, and welcome back to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I am Tim Page-Botter, and it's time to turn the spotlight again on one of our many success stories. We believe in sharing best practices, and we do this from time to time in hopes that we can all see what success looks like and glean something from other people. I'm a firm believer that everyone has something to teach, but in this hectic world, precious few of us, myself included sometimes, don't take the time to slow down and listen so you're listening right now and you're here on the podcast so we're off to a great start and it's with that in mind i welcome today's guest mr scott sutton of snow county pud or commonly referred to as kapud but for those of you that are scratching your head right now wondering what the heck is a pud well that stands for public utility district Snohomish County is located in the beautiful Northwest in the Seattle area. Probably heard them on the news lately because they are suffering a heat wave right now. And of course, Scott's background includes just over 15 years. 14 of those in the metering department where he is a journeyman meterman. And on a personal note, he's been married for nearly 15 years too. And I'm quoting here, to the most amazing woman I've had the opportunity to know his words in case you're listening mrs sutton they all have three kids together 13 8 and 7 and he's an accomplished fly fisherman and even spent some time as a guide scott grew up in montana fishing hunting hiking skiing rafting mountain biking cutting firewood and working with animals and so scott our producer kevin cobb says you've had an idyllic childhood welcome to our podcast my friend
1: Thanks for the invitation, Tim. So glad to be here. That kind of invitation though, or that kind of welcome. surprised that I'm still around.
0: <laughs> you know, there's a show that my wife and I have been watching on TV and I dare I say called Naked and Afraid. But I tell you what, your XLR rating or PSR, Primitive Survival Rating, would probably be skyrocketing right now because of the things that you've done in Montana. And boy, I'll tell you what, Montana is a beautiful space. I, I went up there to Glacier National Park just before the pandemic, and I just thought it was just this monster state that I took a long drive across, but I never really took the time to take in the, the scenery, and I could see why. Um, you often visit back there?
1: As much as I can. I kind of took it for granted when I lived there, but uh, I try to get back as often as I can and do as much as I can with my, my wife and kids and try to get my extended family involved as well.
0: No Scott, remind me, did, did I did I get a chance to meet you when I first got out to Snowhomish a few years ago when I first delivered that presentation or were you not in that room?
1: Not in the very first one. You and I didn't get a chance to meet until you were my trainer in Nashville in fall of 2018.
0: Okay. And then, of course, the Human Factors Conference later on that year or in the very first part of that year. So, all right. So, Scott, thanks for being here. I got to ask, um, are you a Seahawks fan?
1: Oh, boy. Growing up in Montana, we were kind of in that divide between the Broncos and the Seahawks, you know, and marrying out here. My wife, funny story, she has made every one of our kids cry as toddlers from her screaming at the Seahawks. So Yeah. (laughs) By now, by marriage, I am definitely a Seahawks fan.
0: Okay, very well. I understand. You, you've you married into the Seahawks. I, I, myself, have been a Cowboys fan all my life, and you can blame CBS TV for that because that's the only team they showed on TV when I was a kid growing up. So I'm a Cowboys fan, and, of course, I've got to point out <clears throat> Tony Romo fumbling. Uh,
1: yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> well,
0: oh, you feel my pain, do you? <laughs> all right. I, I'm still trying to recover from that. All right. So let's get back to business. I'm, I'm sure I'll get off the rails if we keep talking about the Cowboys and Seahawks. So Scott, here's my first non NFL question, or I guess it's actually more of a statement. I think how the PUD selected safetar Can you explain that to us and to our listeners?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and one that I myself was kind of curious to know, even after I became a trainer, to be honest with you. Um, our current general manager, John Harlow, arrived early in 2017 and started talking about it. Um, it was a program that they had used prior. Um, the current general manager, Craig Collar, at the time wanted to focus on a new safety-related, make it a top priority with a new program, kind of away um from accidents that had the accusatory disciplinary, you know, threat in the past and focus more on the uh, human factors, you know, more instead. In 2018, Craig announced that he was leaving finally, and John pulled together a group of, uh, a pilot group with high-risk employees. Being public utility, we deal mostly with the electric side of things, although we have a small water district as well. Um, And it was after that that they felt the safe start message was so important that we had to get those into, you know, the high risk employees. And since then have rolled it out to the entire company, which is roughly eleven hundred employees at current.
0: Oh, that's ambitious. Um, All right. So let's just kind of go back and visit this from an an example perspective from a best practice. You had a senior manager come from another location that's experienced safe start and then they, they shared that experience and their success. Um, And we've got quite a few folks that have been jumping around like, you know, safety professionals going from one company to the next. And anecdotally, I think it's kind of cool because um, you you, you think you've had great success at one location. Then you want to take that same success and move it into the to the new location. Um, So did you have success?
1: I, I feel like we do. I mean, we've implemented it pretty well company wide now. Now, we started off with just a pilot group of around. Approximately two hundred, and once we got through that pilot group, we felt that we had enough success in that that we wanted to roll it out to the entire company, which you know we have done now in in entirety.
0: Good, good, okay. So I do remember the first time I did visit; it was uh, an invitation by the union, and I have to ask, what kind of buy-in did the union provide? Was it did they provide trainers? Did they provide support? What what kind of activities did they provide?
1: Mostly, it's the trainers. You know, that's where we try to keep a good balance of, of staff that, you know, our trainers that are of the union side, we feel like, especially with our union members that you get more buy-in when you have trainers that are, you know, the same IBW. Um, they also have allowed and supported us in terms of, and this includes a little bit of management, but with the union working together to provide time for the training as well, which as you can imagine, sometimes when you have a ton of power outages and uh, people don't necessarily want us doing training, um, we did find the time you know, and able to make that work as a possibility for PUD.
0: Okay, so the union did provide a lot of support. As you probably are aware, there's um, in unions, they have a tendency to say that this is like a behavior-based safety system, uh, which of course you know as well as I do, it's not. It's not observation and feedback, but it does provide human factors training. And then when you get the union support like you did, it does provide a better systematic approach so I've got to ask, what was it like before Safe Start? And more specifically, did Safe Start affect your culture at all?
1: Before, it seemed like it was always flavor of the month. And you know, we get that term kicked around frequently, I'm sure in most utilities. You know, there's always this next thing that is going to be around for six months to a year, and everybody has to adhere to it, and then it goes by the wayside. Um, that changed, I would say, in the culture when they brought this on because it's such a a non-disciplinary, non-accusatory type of a, of a connection with the human factors as to why or how the accident happened and not blaming the person for it is to try to dig down and, and really address that issue. And I think that, that was one of the things that really changed in our culture. Uh, people started to take a look at, you know, you know, eyes on task, mind on task type of thing instead of, you know, why did you do this? You know, they just started to focus more on what we could do to help Not only the person realize how they got into that potential accident, but then how it could have been worse and how to keep their other members out of that potential.
0: Oh, that makes a lot of sense because I got to tell you, it's a byproduct of Safe Start that I found. It gives the employees a common Safe Start or safety language or what we refer to as a common lexicon. And that is actually a positive, non-threatening and a non-judgmental language to use, which pulls away from blame. Because if the worker feels blame, there's automatically going to be shame and deflection and that it's a lot easier to not take responsibility and deflect. And what you just said there is extremely important because that allows people to be comfortable to go in and have that conversation. So thank you for that. And I'm I'm hopeful and su- I'm hopeful that you'll have that success moving forward with that create uh, creature of culture. Um, and I got to say, flavor of the month. <laughs> I've had quite a few customers that just before Safe Start gets started ask, is it going to become flavor of the month? And you probably are aware that we do really work hard on sustainability, and it makes me it makes me happy to hear you say that. All right. Thanks, Scott. Um, I got to say, just uh, a few years ago, I got a call from a concerned customer who actually said, and this is his words, not mine, the guys in the shop are using Safe Start terms in a grab ass way. <laughs> okay. I asked for more details and he said something to the effect that they were using safe star terminology in sort of a gotcha horsing around fashion. So my next question seemed obvious to me, but it clearly wasn't to him. So I asked, is this horsing around in the shop normal? And he said, yes. And then I was like, my goodness, don't quibble with how they're using it. They're actually intervening on each other's behalf, whether they realize it or not. Did you notice this type of organic intervention?
1: Yeah, you couldn't have put it more succinctly in my in my words. Um, I, I see that frequently working in the field. You know, we get crews of people working together that will sometimes joke around with each other about, "Hey, don't be in, don't be rushing, don't be frustrated. We know you're tired. Don't do this." But the beauty of that is, is that coming from a trainer standpoint, I see though they may be kind of ribbing each other with it. If I'm going the right direction with you. Uh-huh they're using the terminology, they're recognizing it. You know, I've heard them say, you make sure to keep eyes on task, you know, kind of in a joking way, but they are using the terminology and we have seen a reduction in our our preventable accidents. So I would say that it's definitely, definitely uh, out there and working.
0: Yeah. So I can, I can relate. I remember my first visit to Canada to the home office and it was literally April um, 2005, I literally just got off the phone with Larry he goes, Hey, can you be in Canada next week? And I was like, what? <laughs> so I, I get out there and I'm actually, you know, attending this conference that he had me go to in Toronto. And there was another consultant there. We'll, we'll give him a blast out. He's been on the podcast. His name is Wilson Bateman. And I hit my shoulder and elbow on the door jam, walking out of the classroom. And he goes, Hey, you know, that eyes and mind, not on task. That'll kind of get you anywhere you go. <laughs> I looked at him. I was like, okay, I got you. Little wink, little smirk, a little smile, and then, of course, you're right. It's kind of one of those, yeah, well, they were right. They just reinforce what we've been talking about, and it's okay. It comes with a smile. Um, I would prefer a smile over a frown in that case. So thank you for mentioning that. It really does help. So 20 years ago when Safestar was born, we kind of naively just thought we were going to work with this system with uh, reducing injuries, and that's what we thought Safestar would be all about. But after a while, we kind of figured out that Larry really unlocked the kind of the key to the door to human error, which might unlock quality deficiency, like first run defects or problems with your outcome reliability. Also about production or just about any kind of key performance indicator that involved human factors. So I think which is to me pretty much everything. Did your organization experience these collateral things as well?
1: I get some of the numbers, you know, I'm not directly involved in the safety department, which is kind of one of the beauties of SafeStart. is that, you know, it doesn't take uh, the safety numbers being crammed down into, you know, the meetings as we always have, you know, because we do those meetings as well. But this being alternate to that and backing up our OSHA and, you know, standards that we have from the state. What I found was, is that in some of those, I see that we have had a almost a third decrease in our preventable vehicle accidents and recordable injuries. You know, those are rough wow. numbers, but boy, a 30% decrease, you know, thinking of over the years of how many times I myself have hurt myself and I could have reduced that by a third, my pinky toes and pinky fingers probably would have very much appreciated. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at one significant number. And, and I, I, I'm going to attribute it to safe Star because it's eyes on task, mind on task. And we bump that together with the program we do here at work of circle of safety, walking around your vehicle. But, and granted COVID may be a partial factor in that, but over the last two years, we've seen a, a roughly three quarter reduction in our preventable backing accidents specifically. You know, and I think that's huge. That is you, huge. With kids of mine, you know, and you think of the potential accidents with kids being behind you or even them leaving a bike or their favorite ball or whatever. I mean, you start looking at those kind of numbers, and that's that speaks volumes.
0: Yeah, that is a big deal. Thank you for sharing. And I, I'll tell you what, I'm working with a customer right now that has actually started counting the number of timeouts or stop work authorities, and then also at the same time on the other end of the spectrum, good catches. So, And their steering committee came up with that idea um, just based on a poster that was – I hate calling it this, but this is what it was. It was a whiz quiz. It's on the back of a stall in the bathroom, and these folks are reading these things, and then it says, it's okay to have a timeout. Are you actually working on your communication? So what they found is a KPI is that they wanted to increase trust and communication, and they've actually been able to find ways to measure that through timeouts, stop work authority, and I appreciate you doing what you do in terms of the metrics. So thank you for finding those for us. That That was helpful. Okay, so one thing that's hard to measure is twenty-four-seven, and I'm gonna give it a hashtag BPS Best Practices Sharing. We had a fellow guest um, podcaster named David Bianco from EpiRock told us that their example, they actually experienced fewer. Well, that's not right. As I recall, they ha- actually had experienced about five motor accidents, motorcycle accidents per year. And after safe start, then it was zero. How about you, (laughs) 24-7?
1: I don't necessarily have anything for that aspect of the 24-7. I know that it's something that I myself take home and I relate to my family and I see that we've really embraced that um, as the, not necessarily as the whole, but it's really interesting when you start to talk about kids and grandkids. You get the biggest, burliest guy out there and you start talking about grandkids and how this relates to them going forward and taking it home and living this. And it really starts to have an impact to those guys. Yes, it does. So it's not necessarily something for the work side of it, you know, that I see with the 24-7 because most of these guys think they're still six feet tall and bulletproof. (laughs) But when you really start to relate it to family, what mostly I would say when you get it into the kids and grandkids, that aspect really starts to, to click with them. And I, I see a real big impact with our, our crews with that.
0: That's good. I'm glad you mentioned it. There's a couple of things I want to follow up with you on in terms of 24-7 is that we both know that we can't stop our people from breaking the rules. Um, we can't stop them from taking shortcuts. But what we can do is influence to the things that are important to them. And one of the big things that are important to most people is their families, and that is a 24-7 influence. And if you ask any of your employees, would you run into a burning building to save your kids? And the answer is what? Most likely going to be?
1: 100% every time. Yes,
0: of course. And with that said, yes, 100%, then you would ask them, well, what would, would you be willing to run into the next door neighbor's house to save their kids? And of course, it's going to be maybe 98%. Yes. I, I joke a little bit, but the purpose of that statement there is the 24 seven aspect. It's really hard to measure, but it does provide a bit of influence. So speaking of influence 24 seven, how do you share safe start with your own kids?
1: Well, we're, uh, I'm blessed. I have an amazing wife as a, my intro had and, um, three amazing kids. However, they're still kids and tend to get into a lot of small little things here and there. Um, what I found with save stars taking it home. I have not gone through the full spiel with them because it's mostly my younger ones, eight and seven. My almost 14-year-old daughter doesn't want to listen to anything that I say. So <laughs> as I'm sure anybody with teenagers realizes. Um, but the two of them, I try to be very specific about it and not just casual, you know, with the, the terms. And when I say that, I use it, you know, a lot of times with, you know, concentrating on getting them to think about what they're doing, to look at what they're doing. You know, if you can get those two things, you know, that takes 80% out of the the factor. I mean, you can still use your balance. You can still be in the line of fire, but if at least you're looking at it and thinking about it, and if I can get them just to do that, that really helps. And my middle one, especially loves to cook. And you know, when you're chopping and you're grabbing hot pans and you're doing things in the kitchen, if you're not thinking about it and you're not looking at it, you're going to get hurt.
0: Yeah that's true so what is it that they're cooking now <laughs> you got somebody who likes to cook a lot
1: <laughs> you name it she, she'll dive into anything it really 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 likes to make uh, tie dye pancakes with uh, blueberries in it that's her new thing
0: oh interesting okay well that sounds delicious i'm gonna be on my way over here shortly
1: <laughs>
0: i got a colleague of mine who actually wishes to remain nameless in any of our podcasts but uh, they've given up trying to get the spouse to use safe start concepts at home. Actually, they report that his wife is saying, I'm glad you have a job. Leave your work at work. Is there any luck with the lovely Mrs. Sutton? And remember, she's likely listening.
1: <laughs> well, I know exactly who you're talking about, and I have had that conversation with him. Um <laughs> You know, and a lot of the things that I do is kind of along the same lines. I keep it at work. However, I've talked about it enough that just recently when I was putting up one of the canopies on our deck for a a large barbecue that we were having, I grabbed one of the the silly chairs instead of walking the 30 feet to the shed and grabbing the stool that I needed, that I grabbed one of the chairs from the patio set that has a slight rock to it to push up the canopy. My wife looked at me and goes, don't you think somebody should hold that for you if you're going to use that? (laughs) <laughs> so she's paying attention to it maybe a little bit too close and calling me out on it But I thought about it afterwards I'm like, You know what, she was right I shouldn't have done that, I know better I should have triggered on it because I'd have fallen And then the barbecue would be ruined It was family from out of town I wouldn't have gotten to see So it's, it's been impactful to the whole family
0: Oh, uh, Thank you so much for sharing that Because we can actually replace some of that personal feelings Like we're being personally attacked about what we're doing As opposed to more empathy about what people are trying to do and if we look down to the bare bones, um, it's likely that your wife wants you to be around for quite some time. And that's that's respectful. And that kind of comes back to SafeStar start with that conversation about the common safety language. OK, you didn't come home after Jack. like Jack, you, you know, Jack went to this conference. I, we're not saying this is Jack by any means. I'm just suggesting that, you know, Jack came home and he always jokes about going home and saying, hey, honey, I finally figured out why you're making all the mistakes you've been making. I don't think you took that approach. I hope not. Anyways,
1: <laughs> I'm still alive, which means I didn't take that approach.
0: <laughs> sure. Um, although it's probably a joke, but still, that's not the approach you want to take. No. What about others at work? Uh, um, how, how do you approach them? And is there any memorable stories from them just like you shared with your wife?
1: Well, I've been doing a training for almost three years. And so I've, I've got, you know, dozens of memorable stories that they've told, um, None that, that I specifically can get onto at this, you know, right out of the brain at this moment, of course. But sure. uh, the most impactful ones that I have found have been from driving. You know, it's funny when you start talking about it, and I think it's in the very first section that we go through in Safe Start and Units uh, 1, 2, maybe 3, when you start to get them to start telling stories, it's driving stories. And you get all these, you know, caveman guys in the back that don't want to talk about anything, and you start talking about, you know, well, you know, I wrecked my car on I-90 doing this. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I did this, you know. And then you start to get the ball rolling. Sure. I just found that really interesting that, you know, people that, you know, start to have a little pushback initially when you get on to, spe- you know, especially the driving. And like I mentioned before, kids and grandkids, there's usually a, a separate impact from that. But when you get the storytelling, when you get them onto driving, it seems like everybody's got some sort of a story because it's probably one of the most dangerous situations that we put ourselves in.
0: True. True. The story, the storytelling is such a big deal because it kind of opens the door for conversations that you never intended to make in the first place. But leaders, knowing the leaders that attended the leadership session, we tell them to go first. And when they do go first, what you don't realize is you're building a bridge because humans put themselves in the same experiences as another human, especially if it's a shared experience or something that they've done that's similar. Thank you for that. That was cool. Okay. Last question. You attended our inaugural Human Factors Conference, and for those that might be considering coming in to the new one in 2022, um, this is actually going to be February in Kissimmee, Florida. What would you say you got out of attending the last one we held?
1: The, the, the Human Factors Conference was fantastic, first of all. I I had no preconceived notion going into it being the first ones and no benchmark of what to expect, and I just I walked out of there with my mind blown. It was fantastic that um, was not only just the networking, which was great because you talked to not only safety professionals from different parts of the nation and world, but you talked to people who are, you know, say star trainers that, you know, are in different industries that are in the same situations that we were. Uh, we, and that was just really a, a reward, I guess, if you will, to hear from other trainers kind of with the difficulties they were having and the successes that they were having, such as we've had. I really enjoyed that. Um, I've always liked the psychology of how the human brain works. And I thought the Human Factors Conference, and I've got a whole list, and we did a a whole presentation to the rest of our trainers, when we got back about the things that we thought we had learned, and we dropped a drop in the bucket of everything that, you know, they talked about. But it's always fascinated me as to how different people learn and how the human, you know, interaction is so different between everybody. And so Mm -hmm. it was neat to see that kind of put into a a presentation that had, you know, direction and, and meaning to it. Um, And then lastly, I don't know if you're doing it again, but it's worth it to come just to hear Tim speak. I thought that you're (laughs) into the into the conference speech, but I I have always appreciated hearing you speak. And I just thought that that was fantastic. So,
0: well, thank you for the plug. I didn't expect that. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Oh, well, good. So there are a lot of things going on. I think the networking is a pretty big deal. I get a chance to meet with other people. I really appreciate you saying that get a chance to see a ton of great speakers and it's not just Safestar people. We've got, you know, we got systems, people coming in, we've got people coming in for behavior based safety. It's all over the place and we're trying to share that space. And we think that it's possible that we can integrate into systems, into behavior based safety and into maybe even HOP if that's what you're using. So Scott, thank you so much. That's our time for today. And my sincere thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's been my true pleasure, Tim. Always, always nice to see you
0: oh it's good to see you too and on behalf of safe talk with safe start um we'd like to thank each of you for taking the time to listen to us and many thanks again to scott and the rest of his team at snohomish county pud uh, for stepping into the client spotlight today and sharing some best practices by the way a shout out to amy hutchinson who is scott's account executive she's a superstar i've worked with her worked for her and I, I truly believe that uh, when she said, would you like to go to Snohomish County to talk to their people? And I said, I would love to. And I'm glad that this partnership showed up. And if you'd like more details on our Human Factors Conference in Orlando, just reach out to your account executive and they'll take care of you. And on behalf of the podcast, I'm Tim Page-Botter and for the team at Safe Talk with Safeguard. until next time, we'll see you down the road.